So now we're going to begin a new series on uh, Sermon on the Mount. Been your pastor 38 years, and I've never done a series on the Sermon on the Mount. Bad pastor. Never did one, but we're going to do one. And it's going to take probably 12 weeks or so to do it. And I'm sure what's going to happen is from time to time the Holy Spirit will break in and we'll have to, well, I hope he breaks in every week, but you know what I mean. Sometimes we'll, we'll, we'll break for a week or two and, and get into some other topics that need to be preached according to what the, what the Lord has for us, okay? But uh, it'll take, you know, all summer. We'll get through it. But this, this is maybe one of the most important series of messages I'll ever preach or have ever preached. And I believe it's going to be life-transforming, and it has great purpose. So, listen, it's three chapters. We're going to go through it verse by verse, Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Matthew 7. And it takes about 10 minutes to read it, but it took Jesus about 10 hours to preach it. He didn't get up there with thousands of people and preach for 10 minutes. What you see in the Scriptures is, is the highlights. It's, it's, it's just basically what he said. So he would, say, he would go through the eight Beatitudes, and he, he might say the first one, blessed are the poor in spirit, and maybe he spent a half hour on that. We don't know. But he spent time on each one of these and preached all day long. How many of you would stay if I preached all day long? All right, that lying spirit, that's going to get you. That... You raise your hand now, but an hour from now, you're like, Ugh. And And here's the thing. He wasn't really preaching. We call it the Sermon on the Mount, but the Bible doesn't say he preached. It said he taught. And when you see the first verse there, we could, we could throw that first verse up. On the, he, he said he called his disciples together to teach them. His disciples came, but then a whole crowd followed that. He kind of, so what the purpose, the purpose of the Sermon on the Mount is not to save sinners. The purpose of the Sermon on the Mount is to disciple saints. And I don't know that we're doing a lot of that in this day and age. Hello, Sunday school. Say no and amen because none of you come. Say very few. Come on, Norma, here's your chance to amen it. You, I think you had, a cl- you had a class this morning, right? Yay! Hallelujah. Best teacher in the house right there. She's awesome. Yeah, but, you know, you don't have to go to Sunday school. You go to a small group. There's many ways to be discipled. In fact, one of the things we're wanting to do when we get through this 12-part uh, series or whatever it is, you know, 12, uh, 12 times 30 minutes, you know, six, six hours of teaching. When we get through it, we're actually going to put it on video, and every person who wants to join the church has to watch this. Because I think a lot of churches today spend a lot of time teaching people doctrine, which is okay, but instead of teaching doctrine, maybe what we really need to do more of is teach character. It doesn't really matter what you believe if you don't live it. You can have all your doctrine right and go to hell. I'll wait on an amen. You can have it all right. Listen, I sat under 
professors who knew a lot more about the Bible than I did, and I wondered about their salvation. Come on. I said, I wondered. I wasn't judging. I wondered. It's not about what you know. It's how you live. And so Jesus preached this message, and then the church took it for the first 300 years of the church. They took the Sermon on the Mount, and that became the catechism. Do you all know what a catechism is? That became the catechism. That became the, the discipleship program for the church. There's more written about the Sermon on the Mount than any other subject by far in the, in the first three centuries of the church. Because they really believe, and you remember me preaching about this, that they would, they would not be allowed to attend worship service for an entire year until they learned the Sermon on the Mount. Because they said, listen, if you say you're a Christian, you need to act like one. I really thought I'd get a better response on that one. If you don't act like one, we don't want you meeting with us. Wow. Because if you go out back into the pagan world and say, oh, I'm a Christian, and you're acting like the pagans, then why in the world would they want to become a Christian? Listen, it wasn't the preaching that got people saved back then. It was the living. It's not what they said. It's how they lived. Their lifestyle was so different than other Romans citizens all through the empire that they said, look at what, look at how they live. They didn't say, look at how they preach. They said, look at how they live. So it was important. They said, listen, I'm not saying those people weren't saved during that year. They got saved. But there's a difference between being saved and saying you're a Christian. Because Christian means Christ-like. Not everyone who's saved is Christ-like. Because this isn't the kind of message where you come and you, you get a new car in church. You know, this is not bless me, bless me preacher kind of sermon, right? It's, it's a different kind of preaching, but I think you're going to understand that if we get this kind of preaching and we start living this kind of living, it'll change us and we'll wind up being blessed. Maybe the reason our prayers aren't being answered now is because we're not living right. Now, I'm not going to preach about what you should wear or where you should go. I'm not talking about externals. I'm talking about character. You know, some people have character, and some people are characters. <laughs> you said it, not me. Love you, brother. Right? Some people are just characters. But we need Christian character. Wow. Wow. So it starts out, the Sermon on the Mount starts out with the eight Beatitudes. You've heard of the Beatitudes, right? Some people call the eight Beatitudes the beautiful attitudes. Now, some people have attitudes, but they're not so beautiful. So we need godly attitudes instead of the attitude that says, I don't want to do it my way. 
I want my way. I got my rights. Oh, everyone's got rights today. You know, and they don't care about your rights. Just don't step on their rights. <laughs> Come on now. But, you know, we all, it's, it's not about our rights. When we became a Christian, we laid down our rights. So Jesus begins with the Beatitudes, and each one starts with blessed. You blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed. Now, that word blessed, you need to understand there's different words for blessed. And that word blessed doesn't always mean, you know, we, when we say, oh, I was blessed, that meant I got a check in the mail. I got healed. Something good happened to me. Now, that's a blessing. Amen. But you need to get this because how many know he reigns on the just and the unjust? In other words, he'll bless anybody he wants to bless. I believe God blesses sinners. He lets them live. And how many times have we said, why does God let that one live? <laughs> he lets us live. Listen, he bl- listen, and it's not just people. God can bless your dog. Some churches have bless your pet Sunday. They bring all their pets in and they bless them. We're not going to do that. Well, you might talk me into it. I don't know. <laughs> what a day that'll be. So, and, and listen, it's not just, God can bless your car. God can bless your thing. So there's a lot of things and a lot of people can be blessed. God blesses people. It's the goodness of God that leads to repentance. So God blessed you before you were even saved. He blessed you to show his goodness. He wants you to know that he is a good, good father. And that led to repentance. That led you to repent of your sins because he is such a good God. Amen. The goodness of God leads to repent. But he's not talking about just that kind of uh, blessing. Listen, the word, the Greek word here for blessing actually means to be approved. You could say, approved by God is the man, is the woman, is the young person who is poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Listen, there's a difference between being blessed and being approved. Wow. I'm going to say something's going to mess with you. That's why you pay me the big bucks. Say things to mess with you. God loves everybody, but he does not approve. And listen, he'll bless anybody he wants to bless, but there are certain blessings that only come when you live a certain way. I'm not going to say what they are. I don't know. I'm not going to start categorizing blessings. How many believe there are certain blessings that come when you tithe? And when you don't tithe, those blessings don't come. It's not about being cursed or anything. That's Old Testament. But it's about being blessed. It's about when you get yourself in a certain place, when you get yourself in the blessing zone, you are either approved of God or not approved of God. And, and of course, it's not about perfection because, listen, as we preach through the, the uh, Sermon on the Mount, a lot of you are going to say, I can't live up to that. 
That's a tough standard. So we're not talking about he doesn't approve you until you're perfect. But there is a process we're going through, and as we get into this, as we begin to live this life, amen, we receive the approval of heaven. I, I, think, I think Max Lakotu uh, said it best, and he wrote a book with this title, and it's perfect, absolutely perfect. He said, what it is, is the applause of God. It's the applause of God. It's kind of like, you know, how many of you remember, and some of you are doing it now, when your kids are in school and you got to go watch their shows? And they're really bad. <laughs> and you watch it and you're like, uh, but my kid was really good. My, in fact, my kid was the best one in there. All applaud for my kid. But listen, there are shows you go to that stink. There are shows you go to that you really don't applaud except to be polite. And then there are other shows that you're like, wow, this is amazing. I love this show. I love the singing. I love the acting. I I love the stage. I love the choreography. And at the end of the show, you're on your feet. Your hands are together, and you're saying, encore, encore. Oh, come on. I want to see it again. Listen, there are times in our lives when we live in such a way that God gets up off the throne and applauds and says, encore, I approve of your life. Amen. Who wants God approving Your life, give him praise. I want God to approve my life. Amen. In the book of Revelation, he said, I'm going to put a seal on you. You know what that seal is? It's the seal of approval. How many want the seal of approval? Just because you're saved doesn't mean you're approved. I know some of you never heard preaching like this. I don't know, but I'm going to preach it anyway. Come on. So let's look at Matthew 5. Let's look at the Scripture, verse 1. Go back to verse 1. Thank you. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, Jesus preached sitting down. I like that. It wouldn't last long, but I. his disciples came to him because sitting is the position of the teacher in, in Jewish life. Okay. Then he opened his mouth and taught them. He didn't preach. He taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Wow. How many want to live in the kingdom? So what does poor in spirit mean? Let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that you are of no value. It doesn't mean you're shy or uh, introvert or some kind of false humility. To be poor in spirit doesn't mean weakly, without strength, worthless, youth, useless. No, that, that's not what that word poor means. When you, when you break it down in the Greek, poor means literally to live like a beggar. That don't, that don't sound good. Understand what it means. A beggar is somebody who can't work. Of course, nowadays, not necessarily. <laughs> Bad pastor. <clears throat> Some people just want. Anyway, I'm going to behave. Anyway, 
traditionally, a beggar is someone who has some kind of handicap and he can't, he can't work. And all he could do is sit there with his hat or his bucket and he is, what, listen, totally dependent on other people's donations. Poor in spirit means I confess I need him. Poor in spirit means I can do nothing in myself to get this done. Poor in spirit means I can't even live right without him. Poor in spirit means I got to have him when I get up in the morning. I got to have him at lunch. I got to have him in the evening. I need him to go to bed. At, I need him to go to work. I need him in my relationships. I need him in my business affairs. I need him always in everything. I'm a beggar and I need you Jesus Christ come on and praise him that's what it means to be totally dependent on God and if you are you are approved of God Wow. he approves that kind of behavior he likes for you to realize you need him no no see it's, it's about it's about having that being poor in spirit. And you need to understand that it's that kind of attitude that draws God's attention. I, I like telling this story about, about Charles Spurgeon, famous Baptist preacher, 1800s, in London, England. You know, even back then, churches weren't very big, but his church was huge, thousands of people, very unusual, even in the 1800s. He had this huge church in London, great preacher of the word. And he said one day he went out into the street and he saw a beggar. And he didn't have any shoes on and it was cold outside. It was in the winter. He had no shoes. He was out there begging and he just felt prompted. He looked down at his shoes and he had patent leather, expensive shoes, patent leather, beautiful shoes. He pastored a big church. So he had nice shoes. You know what I'm saying? They took care of him. <laughs> and he, he took his shoes off and gave it to the beggar. Next day, walking down the same street, sees the same beggar, looks down at his feet, no shoes. And he got mad. What's wrong with that beggar? I gave him my expensive patent leather shiny shoes, and he's not even wearing them. And he was like, I'm going I'm to give him a piece of my mind. Yeah, even preachers get unholy sometimes. And before he could say a word, the Holy Spirit quickened him. And the Holy Spirit said, how much money do you think that beggar would make if he wore your expensive shoes? Everyone would look at his shoes and say, you don't need my money. You got shoes like that? Hello? We need an attitude that draws God's attention. And being poor in spirit, admitting that you're, you are anyway, admitting that you're poor in spirit draws the attention of God. For theirs is the kingdom of God. Oh, those that are dependent on God. It's the first step of salvation. How many times have you prayed, Lord, whatever it takes? How many times have I've prayed for some of your loved ones? And here's what I had to pray. I said, God, get them to the place where they admit that they need you. 
Because no one's going to get saved if they think they don't need God. So, you see, you got to be poor in spirit just to get saved. You have to realize that I need Him. I need Him. Can't get to heaven without Him. Look at the Scriptures. Luke chapter 4, 18. Let's go through these quickly just to reinforce what I'm saying. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Why? Because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. I'm preaching to those who need to hear it. Revelation chapter 3, talking to the Laodicean church, one of the seven churches. Because you say, you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. And, and do not know that you are actually wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Well, that'll preach. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. It's so interesting that Laodicea, the church that this is addressed to, Laodicea was the leading church in the uh, leading city in the empire that produced eye salve. He said, your factory needs to start putting out spiritual eyes out. Isn't that something? Buy from me. You're wretched and don't even know it. Reminds me of Luke chapter 18, right? Of course, they call it the prodigal son, but the only one that calls him prodigal is the prodigal old brother. Two, went up, two men went up to the temple. To, uh, I'm sorry, that was a different scripture. I'll preach that one later. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other, boo, his, a tax collector. The most hated person in society was the tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. Notice he said he prays with himself. I just now noticed that. He prays with himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Aren't you amazing? And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me. A sinner. Which prayer God answered? The one that was poor in spirit. Notice this too. Theirs is the kingdom. If you want to live in the power of the kingdom, you have to live like a beggar, realizing, declaring that everything you need is from him. Because it, does, it doesn't just say theirs is the kingdom. Theirs alone, say alone with me, theirs alone is the kingdom. There is no other name under heaven by which we may be saved. Theirs alone is the kingdom. Only those that are poor in spirit. How many know the world has a whole different view on this? Blessed are the rich. Blessed are the famous. Right? Blessed are the wealthy. Blessed are the politically, you know, we, we, we can talk about all, that's what the world says. And here and Jesus comes along. Blessed are the poor in spirit. What? He turns the world upside down. 
Let's get to the second one. And what, what you're going to see in these sermons is maybe two, two 15-minute sermons in there. So the first one was the, 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 uh, the riches of poverty or whatever I called it. The second one's called good grief. I know you want to say Charlie Brown. Don't. It's not. It's just good grief. Good grief. Matthew 5, 4. How many are still with me? Blessed are those who mourn. For they shall be comforted. Well, that, that, that's an oxymoron or a paradox. What do, you, what do you mean those who mourn will become? You know, what's, what's blessed? How am I blessed when I'm weeping? But yet he says they will be comforted. Really, this is like step two to salvation. Let me tell you what it's not. It's not about being sad. It's not about mourning over life. Oh, I'm having a bad day. Blessed are those who mourn. (laughs) It's not about moping around. It's not about melancholy. It's not about being depressed. It's not about being a crybaby. It's not about turning the tears on to manipulate people. Nobody dared say amen anywhere. No, no, no. This morning... It's like Jesus weeping over Jerusalem. The mourning he's talking about is really like step two of salvation. Step one is realizing that you need him, and step two is weeping over your condition. The church has lost their tears. We don't want to hear it. But we want revival, but we will never have revival until we have tears. Until some folk come to the altar and weep over the sins. Weep over not just their sins, but the sins of the church. And weep over the sins of our nation. Yeah. Is there injustice in our nation? Yeah. Someone needs to weep over what's happening. It's not about fighting back. It's about weeping. The reason our country looks the way it looks now is because God's presence is not there. This is what a country looks like when God's presence is not there. This is what it looks like. We kick God out and then we're surprised that we can't handle things. (laughs) That we mess things up. This little group in Seattle, they want to start their own utopia. It, it's going to end. As, people have been trying to do that for 6,000 years. <laughs> it never works. Only the kingdom of heaven will be right. Did you hear what I said? Only the kingdom. It's only when people live like Christians. Not just say they're Christians, but live like Christians. And when we start living like Christians... This world will change. Can I get an amen? It's 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15. Timothy said, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners like you. No. He said, of whom I am chief. Paul said that. Paul said that. Now, I don't don't believe we should run around beating ourselves up because we're, we're not perfect. But what I'm saying is we do need to mourn over our sin. Come on, church. 
You want these altars on fire? Fire starts with tears. It starts with repentance. Luke chapter 15, that's where I was going, right? And there in, I think at verse, we can jump to verse 10, where the father is there waiting on his son with open arms. He's not there to judge him, to condemn him. He's there to accept him. He's, he's mourning. He's weeping. He says, I need to go back to my father. I need to go back to my father. It's Nehemiah chapter 1. And Nehemiah is there in Babylon. And, he sa- and, and, and Hanani, one of my brethren, came with men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews. Let me say it another one. I asked them concerning the church who had survived the captivity and concerning Jerusalem. He, he knew there was a remnant back there, remnant. And they said to me, the survivors, the remnant, who are left from the captivity in the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. The church is a mess. So it was when I heard these words that I sat down and wept. I didn't start a protest. I didn't... I wept and mourned for many days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Notice he comes into the king's presence, and the king says, there's something something wrong with you. What is it? Nehemiah, what's wrong? He was trying to hide it. Looks like you've been crying, Nehemiah. What's up? And when the king found out that his hometown, Jerusalem, the church was in a mess, the king said, I'll I'll send people, I'll send money, whatever it takes, we will rebuild the walls. Listen, when you weep and cry before the king of heaven, amen, he will send resources and he will rebuild the church and revival will come back to the church once again. 